This morning, we are jumping into a three-week sermon series um, in the book of Ecclesiastes. And this series is called Eclipsed, Finding Meaning in the Desert. And we're going to be also uh, getting into part two of the Vision Sunday, where I'm going to ask you to pray into and consider some things that I think that the Lord is inviting us into uh, beyond what I shared we are definitely going after in this coming year in the days ahead. And uh, this morning's sermon is called Capturing the Wind, A Quest for Meaning. So when I moved to Wasilla, uh, when I just turned 22, I had a really good plan. I was going to show up. I was going to work really, really hard. And I was going to save money for a whole year so that the following year, when school started, I could have enough money that I could pay for ministry school and go to ministry school. But even though, as I look back at that time now, even though those plans were good and ultimately those plans were to do the will of the Lord, those plans were to serve God and to care for his people, and even though those plans, those ideas, that pursuit, it seemed altruistic. Those plans came from a place of brokenness. Those plans were distorted actually by my brokenness and they were inherently just self-gratifying. I believed in that time that if I worked hard enough, if I studied enough, I could show myself approved. If I knew enough scripture, then maybe... I could be worthy of God's love. And then maybe, at the very least, if God loved me, if I showed myself approved, if I worked hard enough, maybe I'd be good enough to scrub the toilets in his church. If I could work hard enough, if I could strive hard enough, if I could do all of these things, then maybe God would give me love. Maybe I could earn his attention. And that next year did not go according to plan. And I struggled that whole year to make money and just, just survive through that season. I ended up, at, towards the end of that season, I wrecked a friend's car and I had to uh, go into debt trying to replace it. And, and, and in this season, when I felt just totally unseen, I felt abandoned by the Lord in a desert and I was broken and I got mad at the Lord and I started reminding him of, Lord, look at all the things I've sacrificed so I could serve you in your kingdom and look at all the things that I've committed to you. And you just let all of these terrible things happen in my life. In this season where I felt completely unworthy, all the lies that I'd believed in my life, I felt like they were being confirmed. I felt hopeless. I felt alone. In the midst of that season, God was bringing about the beginning of some of my greatest blessings. Some of the greatest blessings that I have experienced in my life we're beginning in that season. And in this season of struggle, I was, I was building a relationship with a guy. With, he became my friend and he, he discipled me and he was the first one that 
encouraged Sophie and I. He, re- he reached out to us in, a, in another season of struggle, and he, he encouraged us to take one of the biggest leaps of faith we took, we have taken in our lives, where we sold everything and we moved to Homer so I could go to Bible school finally, years after my plans failed. Uh, and then this same friend in, in the end of that season, he was encouraging me, no, you, you should date this girl. And, and then a few months later, he said, no, you should marry Sophie. And after knowing Jesus, she has been the single greatest blessing of my life. And she has further blessed me. Our relationship has blessed me even further still with six of my next greatest blessings that God has given me in my life. In that season of struggle, in that like very desert, tumultuous time, God was working all of those things together. When I felt purpose and meaning for my life had been completely eclipsed by the futile struggles of this world. When I was, found myself chasing after doing things my own way and still trying to pursue my own gratifications, even though they seemed altruistic, God met me and God blessed me through those seasons, even though it was a long season of struggle where I felt abandoned. You see, God, he has this, he's placed on our lives, he's placed in creation an intentional design for us. His design was not for us to be satisfied by the things we encounter in this world. We're not to be satisfied by the pleasures this world has to offer. We have have in us, we've been given this deep desire that we cannot satisfy as we search out the things of this world. This world wasn't meant to satisfy our deep longings. And we even hear songs about it, right? Like, I can't get no satisfaction. See, you're really glad right now that I did not choose to lead worship. We get cynical. We, we start, when we get disappointed, we actually choose things that will actually medicate us to try and help us not, live in that disappointment. But those medications, they slip us further into depression and we end up, some of us end up just giving up completely and throwing our hands in the air. And some of the more driven people among us, we we keep searching out. We keep trying to satisfy our desires and we we work out of our own dysfunction. We work out of our own distortions to try and capture the wind. Everybody was at the conference yesterday and the day before. You know, like I was super excited because it was like, this lays over Ecclesiastes so well. So you're, if you didn't come out to the Renew Conference with Josh on Friday and Saturday, you're gonna get a little taste of it today. We have this natural desire in us for meaning. We were created for purpose. We long for something more under the sun. But we just don't ever seem to find relief from it. It's what keeps the pioneer wondering what's over that next horizon. It's what keeps the untamed lands continuing to dwindle. It keeps the superstar athletes like Tom Brady coming back for just just one more shot at the title regardless of the ruin that it brings to their personal life. 
It keeps the hedonist magazine moguls growing in their grasping for gratification while their bodies shrivel and they slip into oblivion. There has to be something more. There has to be something better than discovering new lands and filling our mantles with trophy cases and accolades and pleasures and gratifications and all of the created things that this world has. There must be something that can truly satisfy our longing for meaning and purpose. There must be a creator who could satisfy with an eternal relationship with him. Theologian and philosopher Augustine of Hippo, he said back in the fifth century, Thou, O Lord, has made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Just over a millennium later, Blaise Pascal, he said it like this There is a God shaped vacuum in the heart of every man and woman which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the creator made known through Jesus. Both of these theologically minded philosophers, they were attempting to summarize what King Solomon had already explored throughout uh, the chapters of this book, Ecclesiastes, that we're jumping into. Almost a thousand years Solomon wrote this before Jesus walked in Israel. Ecclesiastes, it's the conclusions of an incredible mind that has searched carefully for answers. And he was guided by the Holy Spirit to reveal to us, the readers, a truth. One that's not very joyful us to joyful for us to wrestle with in this life until you have actually found the resolution to the problem that Solomon presents. Like if you approach the book of Ecclesiastes without a heavenly perspective, it can leave you even more depressed than when you showed up to it. So we're gonna make some observations this morning. We're gonna go through the first couple of chapters and hang in there because it might get bleak, but I'm not going to leave you in the desert, okay? Solomon, he opens this book with an observation of a, of a key truth. In chapter 1, verse 1, he writes, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, like the most vain thing of all vain things. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? What is there to be gained by all of the work that we have to do in this life? Solomon is a man who, he had the ability, he pursued many things in his life. Most of us, like, our first pursuit in this life is just feed me, hold me, give me a little love, Change my diaper, keep me dry. As we grow, uh, our pursuits grow along with us. We become more dependable in the type of underpants that we can, uh, we can wear. And then sometime further into the future after that, we're actually entrusted with making all of the choices that will direct 
our life. For as long as we live, our life is filled with quests, adventures, missions. We go on these missions that to achieve accomplishments. We go on these quests to overcome struggles in our life. We, we undertake these quests for money and power and prestige and pleasure. And in all of these missions that we undertake in our life, we have the same common goal that underlies all of them. It's to add value and add meaning to our life. Because without meaning, we're just spinning our wheels. Without meaning, we're just staying busy with no fulfilling significance to our life. But if you hold a Christian worldview, you would understand that you were actually created with intention for so much more than the pursuit of your own happiness. You were created for something far greater than this American dream you've been promised. Your life was designed for an eternal purpose, to mean something. And Solomon's opening, it doesn't sound very inspiring. But God has intentionally preserved this book for us, so maybe, maybe there's something that we can learn here. And he takes a pessimistic approach, but we get pessimistic sometimes, and it's good for us to go through this and glean some wisdom from Solomon and the Holy Spirit. He was the greatest king of his time. There was no experience that eluded Solomon. He had the resources to try all of column A and all of column B. He got to have every experience he ever wanted and he got to spend all the time he wanted meditating on his hedonistic pursuits. And the message that he left for us after all of his indulgences was, life is vain. Your life is but a vapor, it's smoke, it's elusive. And if you read this book without a heavenly perspective, you could be left depressed, but, uh, but God offers us a lot of wisdom to be gleaned through Solomon's experience, through all of his musings here in these chapters, than you would probably catch at first glance. So Solomon's premise in Ecclesiastes is this, life under the sun has no meaning. And he was right. It doesn't. Search, you will not find it. That is what most people uh, do in this world. Now don't get lost on these words. The point of his observation is not that life has no meaning, but the pursuit of meaning is at the heart of your life. The answer to the purpose of your life. It isn't found in our quests and our missions and our journeys for our selfish desires. It's not found on our quest for our own glory. And Solomon, he jumps into chapter one, observing the meaningless and the monotony of this life under the sun, observing that people come and they go. The most important people that we know of in life today, they're going to be dust tomorrow. The wind blows and you cannot control it. The earth seeps up water from below and know what? It all rushes back into the ocean. There's little that we can do in our life to make any change in any of it. 
And with every line you read in this book, it's like someone saying, hey, guess what? You're not that big of a deal. You are not that special. You actually don't matter. This is a here today and gone tomorrow world. And you might be gone tomorrow and no one will remember you. Super encouraging, right? Solomon continues with the sense of an unsatisfied uh, accomplishment. And, and he observes that, you know what? Life is tough. Life leaves you feeling exhausted, doesn't it? No matter what you have, have you ever really been satisfied with the things of this world? No matter what possession you've gained or experience you've had, you aren't satisfied. You're always left wanting a little bit more. Nothing's ever new. We all experience the same problems and people before us have all experienced the same problems. Generation after generation, we've experienced the same stuff. And we, when we think we've found something new, it ends up having just the same issues that things before it have had. If we improve life in one way, we create problems we didn't know we once had. We work, we work really hard to build things, but they don't last and no one's gonna remember us when we're gone. No one's gonna care who did the work and built the things once we're gone. Our lives, they, they slip away. And we are left wondering, why did I work so hard for those things? What was the point of it all? Why did I work to accomplish so much just so I could be forgotten? And faced with a meaningless unsatisfying life, Solomon, he sets out to find a solution to life's lack of meaning. In verse 12 of chapter one, he says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Solomon took this pursuit very seriously and he used his rich wisdom and every resource that he had at his disposal to search out the meaning of life. And he recognized, it's like, this is going to be a big undertaking. And he expended every effort that was necessary. And at the same time, he knew there were going to be limitations. He actually wrote in verse 13, in the second half of verse 13, it is an unhappy business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun and behold all is vanity and striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. Right? Off the rip, Solomon makes these three critical observations. He's like, the meaning of life, it's not simple. And lack of meaning is obvious. And he couldn't change what was. He could only cover, uncover the truth of what was. And then Solomon, he began the search with these three pursuits. First, he attempts to find the meaning in learning. 
He goes to the university. He goes to academia to try and find meaning for life. And he sought knowledge that could lead him to a lasting satisfaction. Like, like many of us, like there's a lot of degrees in this room. I have friends who have more degrees than grandparents. They still can't tell me what the meaning of life is. And one after another, Solomon tells us in verse 16, he said, in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experiences of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. Like some people who have been in academia for way too long, they are mad and choosing foolish things. I perceived that this also is but striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is vexation, irritation. In a lot of wisdom, there's more problems. More money, more problems. More, more wisdom, more problems. The more you know, the more you're responsible for. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Solomon sought the meaning of life in learning, in academia, and he studied and he listened to the best teachers. He, he went to the wisest of sages and meditated on their deep words, and he realized the more he knew, the worse he felt. As he learned the depths of human depravity, he got more depressed. And second, he sought to find meaning in pleasure. He backed off from hitting the books. He, he left the library and he headed off to the frat house and he let the booze flow. And you know what? The booze washed the heaviness away from his life for a fleeting moment because he realized it just numbed his senses. In chapter two, verse one, he said, in my heart, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. So he launched into this hedonistic pursuit of pleasure, just like he was a modern American, only to come to the conclusion that it doesn't bring a deep and lasting fulfillment. He went to the best comedians and they made him laugh for a minute. They were funny, but the laughter faded. And he tried all the best wine and it tasted really good, but it ended up giving him a headache and a fat gut. And he looked at the time that he spent on all his pleasurable pursuits. And he felt probably more guilty than I do when I waste a few hours of my afternoon laying on the couch watching baseball highlights. See, we are, we are a people who are naturally in our flesh dissatisfied. 
You know, when I was, I remember growing up as a kid in rural Alaska, we were lucky if we got like one or two channels with the uh, TV antenna. And you know what? Usually it can't, I know, amen, hallelujah. I see that hand. I see that hand. You know, we were lucky if it was even in black and white. And if it was in color, it was probably pretty scrambled. Now, I've told you before, millennials who grew up in rural Alaska, we relate way more with you Gen Xers than with our own generation. So I'm like, we're, we're, we're on the same page. Now, but so I had that experience. And now with all of these streaming platforms that, the, that we have available, right at our fingertip, right in our pockets most days, in an instant, we could watch whatever we want. And we spend more time trying to figure out what we want to watch and, and, and going through the vast array of libraries of, of entertainment that we have at our fingertips, dissatisfied because, oh, I don't feel like watching that. And that's not going to be pleasurable enough. And like, can't we just be satisfied with a little? Once Solomon, once he figured out that learning academia, pleasure, hedonism, that, that it was all a waste of time. He began to build things. He's like, I will leave my mark on this world. I will find, pursuit, I, I will find uh, meaning in my pursuits by building stuff, leaving stuff for the generations to come after me, leaving these beautiful uh, farms and gardens and parks, uh, building these uh, awesome ponds and forests, building uh, an empire of industry and herds and flocks. I will build all that to leave my legacy and find meaning in my life. And he became the envy of all people of his time. People came from far and wide to see the kingdom that he built. He lived a fast-paced life full of fame, full of fortune. And yet when the lights went out, when the crowd was dulled and he didn't hear his name being chanted in the streets. When the, when the party was over, he was left feeling empty and unsatisfied and tired. And he was left alone with his thoughts to think for a moment about what the heck was it all for? Because the people coming after me aren't gonna care what I built for them and they're not gonna care about the person who built it. And I want you to think for a minute. Let's be introspective for a moment. Uh, what is it that you are lacking in your life right now that you think will bring you happiness? Like if I just had this, Lord, I would be fulfilled. I'd be satisfied. My life would have purpose. What would make you happy? Is it more money? Do you need more money? Do you need more power? Are you lacking pleasure? Would a little bit more pleasure in your life make you happy? Would that satisfy you and give you purpose and meaning? Is it a bigger house or a house for some of you? Is it a nicer car? Oh man, I like to look at cars. There's a couple that I'm like, oh man, if I had that car, it wouldn't be fulfilling in my life, but it'd make me a little happier for a few minutes. Do you need greater recognition for the things you do in your life? Like, what is it that is elusive to you that if I just had this thing, my life would be better. My life would be perfect. I would be satisfied. Solomon tells us you can't find, you can't buy, you can't learn, you can't make the thing that you are really seeking. And you know what? If you could, 
you'd misuse it anyway. After all of Solomon's experiences, after all of his trying to add meaning and value to his life under the sun, Solomon begins to write out his reflections for us on that season of his life. And first he says, my knowledge, it didn't affect a lasting change for my generations and the world around me. Verse 12, he writes, so I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly. And there is more gain in light than in darkness. Solomon recognizes, he observes, no one gained anything from my personal research into this matter than me. My pursuits benefited no one but myself. And second, he admits this, that both the wise and the foolish, we live with the same issue. You wise people and me, a foolish man. We live with the same issue. We're all facing the same thing. He says in verse 14, the wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten how the wise dies just like the fool. Smart people and stupid people both end up in the grave. Your knowledge and your wisdom it doesn't make any difference. It doesn't make you better than someone else because you're all gonna die. All of your wisdom, it's not gonna guarantee that anyone remembers you when you're gone. Everyone's gonna forget what you contributed to the world. Then Solomon notes that when we make our lives all about ourselves, when life is all about me, it's bitter, it doesn't taste good, and it's difficult. Life gets hard when it's all about you. Verse 17 of chapter two, he writes, so I hated life. Man, isn't that where we wanna be? We wanna hate life, right? Solomon says, I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all is vanity and striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. He didn't find any meaning in anything he pursued in his life. He said, at the end, he says, I hated life. My pursuits in life, it, they didn't deliver all of the work. It had no fulfilling meaning. It left me with no lasting satisfaction. And now I know I could see some of your faces. You're like super depressed over all of these observations of Solomon. And if you were here last week, you're probably thinking like, 
How is this supposed to get me excited for all the stuff that he said he didn't get to in his vision casting Sunday that he wanted to tell us about this week and make us excited for? Well, thankfully, the Holy Spirit guided Solomon in the writing of this book and Solomon did not leave off this book without giving us any hope. And I'm not going to leave you, I told you, I'm not gonna leave you in the desert this morning. We're journeying through the desert this morning. And so Solomon, he begins to move, remove now the obstruction that was eclipsing our view of the meaning of life. And Solomon, he ends chapter two with some observations of what he discovered some satisfaction in, in this life. In verse 24, he says, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil, find enjoyment in what you find, put your hand to in this life, in your work. If you're a salesman, find enjoyment in selling things. If you're a hunting guide, find enjoyment. I don't know how you couldn't find enjoyment in taking people out into the wilderness and giving them those experiences until they start whining and complaining about all the stuff while you're serving them. Um, you know, if you're a mom, Serve those kids and raise them up in the way that they should go. Raise the next generation of the church. If you're a cashier at a, at a grocery store, be the best cashier you can be and smile and make sure that people feel the love of Jesus when they come through your line. I know we have a couple of them here. Amen. Right? It says, in this also I saw from the hand of God for Apart from him, apart from God, who can eat? Who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, for the one who pleases God, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, to the person who does not pursue the Lord, to the person who does not live with a Christian worldview, to the person who's rejected the Lord in their life, he is given the business of gathering and collecting only to give it to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after win. And now if you, if you, you have to look at what he just wrote carefully because the hope, it's veiled. It's almost eclipsed with the more of this striving after win. But what Solomon is saying here is a fulfilled life. It begins with acknowledging that the work that we find to do in this life, that our labor, that our very life, it comes from God. And our life purpose, it's found in the design the creator has put in our life. He created each one of us with an intricate design to fulfill things in his kingdom. God has a bigger plan for this world, for his kingdom that we get to fit into. We get to be part of. You know, the central figure in history, it's not people, it's God. God should be the central person that we, he should be the central figure that we look at throughout history. When we look at the story of our life, we are not the superstar. God is the star of the show. Everything isn't actually about you. My life is not about me. It's about Jesus and glorifying him and making his name great. Whatever happens around me, whatever happens in my life, it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. 
We cannot honestly believe that it is all po- that, that it is possible to find satisfaction in this life apart from God. Apart from his purpose, you can find no lasting fulfillment. No satisfy, no, no satisfying life can be lived apart from God. A fulfilled life actually recognizes that God has created this whole world, all of human history, and he created it so we can enjoy it inside of a relationship with him. Without a relationship with him, we actually run around frantically working for things that are not going to last. We try to build things that will not satisfy us and seek out pleasures in this world that are gonna leave us empty. And you do that, you live that life, you're gonna recognize that satisfaction and meaning, it can't be found there. Your life has meaning, your life has purpose. It just isn't, clear to you unless you know the creator personally, unless you get his perspective on things, unless you seek first his face, unless you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Only a life lived walking with the God that created you will be a life that is meaningful. Solomon had it all. He had more money than he could ever spend. He had more power than he could ever exercise. He had more possessions than he could enjoy. He had more accomplishments than any king that had come before him. He had more wisdom than any normal human being ever has. He had more wives and concubines than he could ever seek to try and please. And what he discovered in all of his toil was that without a walk with the Lord, without knowing God personally, without seeking his will for your life, without seeking God first in your life, without making the Lord the central figure of your life, it's all vanity. Everything without the Lord, everything apart from the Lord is meaningless. All of life's pleasures, Solomon said, are worthless pursuits. All the accomplishments that he had apart from the Lord were futile. Everything apart from the abiding life with God will leave you empty. If you are a disciple of Jesus, then your desire should be to follow Jesus more closely. The key, if you're not experiencing a meaningful life, the key to finding a meaningful life is learning to abide with Jesus daily. The abiding life is our foundation for living. A God-centered and abundant life. Abiding in Christ is not a destination. It's not this far off thing that we must strive to get to. It's a lifestyle that we can start today. And as we focus on each day, on growing closer to the Lord, on growing in our spiritual maturity, the Holy Spirit, our our helper, he was given to us as a gift to guide us along the way. In John's gospel in chapter 15, Jesus said in verse four, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Unless you abide in me, 
I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from the Lord, apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Whatever created thing that you look to in your life for satisfaction, whether it's money, power, sex, a bigger house, a nicer car, recognition, fame, fortune. Solomon had it, and he had it more than you'll ever have. He had it all. And he said, that life is empty. And the only thing that brought satisfaction to him was a life that was lived for God. The only thing that will satisfy you in this life is an abiding life in Jesus and seeking first his kingdom, seeking his face first and his righteousness. So as I've been seeking his face, I, especially over this last two months, I've been re-energized and, and, and been given a renewed vision. And I shared a lot of that with you last week. And there's some projects that I think very early um, in my time here as the Talkeetna campus pastor, that, that, that the Lord was revealing to me that I got really excited for, but I've, I've struggled to really put it into the right words and present it well and invite you to dream on these things and invite you to pray on these things and consider them. And I know I've kind of shotgunned the ideas out there in the past, building a gym and having an early learning center here at our campus We've even begun uh, to build a park. We, not just that it would be a resource for an early learning center, but so it would be a resource for the families in this area. And we have, uh, we have like $2,000 left to go towards that project that we have raised. And, and we're going to be continuing that project this summer. But the big dream, the, the big idea, the big project would be to have a gym right here on our property. And so two years ago, I approached our church's business board uh, about this idea. And immediately they were like, wow, that would be a, a, a great thing. That's an awesome, big dream to have. And there's a lot of good that we see that could be done uh, in the Talkeetna area with providing that resource for that area. And immediately they recognized the blessing that it could be to the communities here and the resource that it could be to ministry. But they said, before, before you go down that road, before you start planning that and searching out grant monies and, and making these big plans, you need to figure out first how you're going to pay to keep the doors open once it's built. Because historically, churches that build gyms, the gym becomes a financial drain on the congregation because they're hard to keep warm, especially when it's 40 below in the winter. They're hard to maintain. And even if you're uh, doing memberships and doing little programs and charging a low cost to the community, uh, it, it will never pay for itself. It'll never pay to keep the lights on. 
You'll never break even. It'll always be a financial drain. And so one of my uh, goals, one of the things that I thought would be a, a great thing after we had a gym was to have a little school, a little early learning childhood development center. And, that, and I was like, well, why don't we just start doing that now? And that could uh, maybe help uh, attain that goal. So I thought maybe, um, maybe we'll just do that first. Because uh, that's a huge area of need. Early Learning Center would, be, would fit, fill a huge need here in this area. And I have friends in ministry that they have, uh, they've started these kind of things and they've proven that the concept can be successful in their areas. And that concept can be uh, a, a blessing to their, their ministry and can help financially offset other costs in their ministries. And so for the next 18 months after that, I was working towards chasing that down. And I was working towards getting things moving. And I experienced a lot of roadblocks. I got let down several times. And ultimately, what I figured out is it's not the, like an early learning center is probably not the thing that is going to bring in resources to keep the gym doors open. Uh, it's not going to be here in this area something that is going to be a blessing financially to help in other areas of the ministry. And it's not something that we're going to abandon. It's an idea that I still think uh, could be a huge blessing to this community. But it'll be a ministry that we provide for the community, not something that helps us in other areas of the ministry. So before we do that, we have to develop the property and increase our facility. So I'm back to an, the original idea for how I thought, hey, this could help keep our doors open on a gym. This could help offset the cost for doing this. It's like, we, why don't we start a thrift store? Our Palmer campus, they started a thrift store, I think, in 2010. And in 2016, they opened the doors to a building that the thrift store paid for. I think a thrift store would be, uh, I think it would do really well here in this area. Uh, we have the space on our property to do it. We just have to cut down a few trees and do some dirt work. Our Wasilla campus actually has a building that we, they said we could have for a little more than the cost of moving it up here. And I've got a few people that are helping me right now figure out numbers and figure out what it would take to move it and put it here, do the dirt work, drop power, get all of the uh, um, utilities hooked up and open the doors. And I be believe, I believe that first and foremost, if this is a project that God is calling us to do, that we could do it. It wouldn't actually be that difficult. I think it's possible we could open the doors on a thrift store next spring. And it could provide a need for our community. And it could help us to build capital to do bigger projects and more ministry here in the future without increasing a financial burden on the congregation. But you know, the truth of all this is, if we do pursue these kind of projects, if we do accomplish these things, it doesn't make us more valuable as a church. It doesn't make 
us more valuable as a body of believers. It doesn't add value to you as the individual Christian if you participate in something like this. If we do this, the desired outcome is only that we increase our capacity to do good ministry and see the message of the gospel transform this region and this world. If we go after these kind of things, believing that this is what's gonna fulfill us, this is gonna be the mark that we leave behind in this area and people are gonna remember us by and we're gonna get this notoriety and recognition for providing these big fun things, these new shiny objects for the community, it's gonna leave you unfulfilled. This is not the, the thing that fulfills us and fulfills God's kingdom in our lifetime. This is a thing that if we're gonna do it, we do it for the Lord, not to make him happy and leave us satisfied. If we did it to make God happy, to think that he would be pleased with us at the end of it, it would be futile. If you did it to, if you participate to fulfill something in yourself, it's futile and you're just striving after wind. Your life as a disciple of Jesus, that's what's significant. And it's significant despite what you accomplish and what grand endeavor you may be part of in your life. God loves you despite what you can or cannot accomplish in this life. If we are living the abiding life in Christ, if we, if we take on the identity that he has for us, then we have nothing to lose. We have nothing to prove and there's nothing to gain. These projects could produce good fruit if we are focused on the kingdom. And it could also end up being something different if we start going after that. The Lord could direct our steps to do something different if we start down this road. To see this vision become a reality, it wouldn't be a failure if we got a thrift store built and then did something different and didn't do a gym. If he directs our steps, if we have our singular focus on him, his will will be done, not ours. And then it's not a failure. It's just something different. We wanna do whatever is good and glorifying. We want to see things accomplished that are gonna lift up the name of Jesus. A gym, an early learning center, a thrift store. None of those things make you more valuable. None of those things make the bride of Christ more valuable. None of those things are gonna make God's church more valuable. Maybe the organization, but that doesn't matter. It's going to be dust tomorrow. What these things could do is add to our capacity to make an impact for God's kingdom here in our region. It could help our communities. It could be a resource for our community. It could result in more ministry being offered here. But it has to come from a place where we are resting and abiding in Christ. Where we are living for the person 
and work of Jesus, where we are being more conformed into him, his image and likeness. If it, if it comes from a place that costs us peace and a relationship with the Lord, if it costs our relationships with each other, then it's not worth pursuing. The vision could be good. The vision could be right, but it could be the wrong timing. But you get to be a part of this right now, one way or the other, for good or bad. You get to seek the Lord's face in this. And I mean good or bad response, not good or bad outcomes. We only want good outcomes. I'm inviting you to pray about it. You can ask me more questions about it. I might not know all the answers because it's still a vision. It's still, we don't know how, to, how we're gonna get there. Yes, this could be a good thing. You can tell me that. You can say, hey, yes, I support the vision and I wanna help see it come to pass. Or, hey, this is dumb. I absolutely will not participate. Good or bad, you can tell me I wanna know. You're not gonna offend me. I wanna know what you think. Because if God is calling us as a body, to go down this road, we need to know. I'm not Moses. I'm not coming down from Mount Sinai saying, this is what the Lord is saying we must do. I shared the primary vision for where I believe that the Lord wants it to, to take us last week. I told you this is the more important thing, that we are growing in our relationship with the Lord, that we are going upward in our worship, worship of God, that we are building here in this place a house of prayer, and that we are committed to building up the body of Christ. And we are going inward in our selfishness. Come on, somebody yell something. No. We are going inward in our relationships, in our unity. We will continue to be trendsetters for our church. And we're going to get bigger this year by getting smaller in the advancement of our small groups, our life groups, whatever we decide to call them. We are going to continue the efforts to go out into this region, uh, bringing in the lost, the lonely, and the looking. And we're going to do it by personally, as the individual Christian, getting more involved in the support of this community and of the communities around us by being more engaged in our community as individuals and trying to keep our programs here simple so that you have free time to go and do other things and be with your family and be part of the community. We're going to continue to do the hard work to refine our outreach so that it can be more impactful for our community. These are things that we are committed to, but I believe that we could also go after some bigger things, some bigger projects. We could do them as a body. We could do them as one body of believers, as one church family. We could add value and resources to this region we serve in these ways. We could help facilitate some things. These could be some additional methods that we use to bring in the hurt and the sick and the poor here in our area to see that they are introduced to the Prince of Peace, to see that they find true purpose, that they find freedom in their lives. We don't want to chase after wind. I don't want to waste my own time and I don't want to waste yours. I want to simply live the abiding life in Jesus. I want to let him build his kingdom.
And I pray that nothing of our own efforts will stand. That no legacy of our own creation is gonna survive unless it is the Lord that's producing the fruit. That's what I wanna see. Other than that, it's all vanity. It's all striving after the wind. These are things that I think the Lord could be inviting us to participate in. So let's commit to praying about it. Let's seek his will. Seek his righteousness. Let's see what he wants to add. Now, if you're here today and you've been toiling under the sun in your life, if you've been reflecting on your life this morning and you find that things things have been meaningless, you've been wandering aimlessly and with no purpose, stop wasting your time. Stop chasing after wind today. You can lose your life for his sake and then you'll find an abundance of life. The only meaningful life that you can have is a life abiding in Jesus. The most important thing you could do in your life, the most important thing you could do right now is find yourself living a life that abides in Christ living a life of vanity, chasing after wind, chasing after purpose under the sun, not living the abiding life in Jesus, that is worthless. That will mean nothing. You can this morning turn your life to Jesus and give it all to him. We have a prayer team that's gonna be in the back by the cross. We have lots of folks. There's probably somebody right next to you that would be willing to pray with you walk you through a way that you could turn your life back to Jesus. A way that you could, for the first time in your life today, give your life to Jesus. So let's stand, let's worship the Lord and pray with one another, lift each other up. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this place and this people, your vision. Lord, we pray that your purposes will stand that nothing that we could produce or pursue in our own pleasure, our own gratification, Lord, we pray that you would burn it all, that your purposes will stand and that we would seek first your kingdom and your glory and your honor, that we would lift up your name and make your name great and you would draw all manner of people unto yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.